And that's what I mean by failing well. It's, it's about taking in that feedback that you get and making sure that not just you as the individual has an understanding of it, but the team. You're listening to episode eight of Fail Hard, a by design podcast that explores the relationship between fear, failure, and creativity. Sponsored by Adobe. I'm your host, Will Hall. Last week, I sat down with the designer, Don Clark, who's one half of the amazing design and illustration company called Invisible Creature. Definitely go back in the show's feed and check it out if you missed it, because it's well worth your time. We discussed everything from his work with the Foo Fighters and the music industry, to running his own company, and the virtues of staying small. And you know, I think there are a lot of benefits of staying small. It allows you to focus on the things that you want to focus on. It allows you to have so much more control over not only what you do, but how you do it. And it allows you to pivot in a moment's notice. You know, in fact, I think that speed might be the single biggest benefit of staying small. Because look, I think there's a really good reason why so many of the quote-unquote disruptors in the world of innovation are started by just a couple of people in a single room. Because instead of having a meeting about a meeting, you're simply getting things done and you're reacting in real time. That being said, there are also very real virtues in going big. And I mean really big. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we've entered an era in culture wherein the problems that we're collectively trying to solve, they're larger than the grasp of any team or even an individual. But with big companies can come big challenges, but also tremendous opportunities. You know, I recently stumbled across this site called ApolloInRealTime.org. That's really kind of amazing. They have this series of toggles where you can turn on and off the various feeds that were happening in real time around the Apollo mission. So everything from the various newscasts around the world to the various communications between mission control on the ground to the astronauts in the ship, you know, teams of engineers talking to other teams of engineers, just mountains of data and telemetry information. It is kind of overwhelming. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. And, you know, we all have this mental picture of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepping onto the moon there for the first time. You know, I certainly wasn't alive when they first did it, of course. But even now, watching that grainy footage on YouTube, it's hard not to get inspired. But I think that, you know, what this site underscores for me is that though we only saw those two guys on the moon, back home there were an estimated 400,000 people that were working together to make that happen. I mean, think about that. That fact alone to me, is more remarkable than the footprint on the moon itself. Epic moments like those require meaningful collaboration at scale. And within all of this, there's this really interesting tension between the collective goal and individual responsibility. Because on the one hand, you had a very obvious goal, put a man on the moon, but that was mixed with thousands of teams that had to figure out how to work with and collaborate with thousands of other teams. And all of those teams were made up of individuals that had to figure out how to collaborate together. You had to manage your own desk, manage the team, and manage the project. And within these orders of magnitude of collaboration, though, there was one mantra that unified them all. 
We all are in this together as a team effort. We're going to make it work. And I don't know how to make it work. I don't know how to do most of this mission. But I do know that I can assure you that my piece of it is going to work. And you won't fail because of me. That was Apollo 11 astronaut Ken Mattingly. And I just love that sentiment. It won't fail because of me. It so perfectly combines the larger goal with personal responsibility and accountability. In fact, all throughout NASA, those words, they were written out and pinned up in nearly every office. It unified everybody to the goal, as well as all the way down to their desk on a Tuesday. Perhaps the greatest accomplishment of the entire space race, you know, other than Tang, was simply that of collaboration. It's just such a new muscle for most of us. And the fact of the matter is, is that we've all been given this secret double major that nobody ever told us about. You know, work together, collaborate. Because in school, we're awarded individually. Diplomas, they don't have team names on them. But then after graduation, we're thrown into this pool where we're expected to be part of a larger group. And then we're shocked that we don't exactly have the tools to navigate those forces. It's a massive shift from me to we. And not knowing how to make that transition is a source of so much tension and inefficiencies. And yeah, failure. 75 to 80% of those new hires are early career professionals. And they've never worked in a company at the scale of IBM. That's the voice of today's guest, Owen Michael Hammonds. Owen is a design principal at IBM. How do we bring someone in in a meaningful way that doesn't allow the company to swallow them up in the big blue? I'm sure that would be really easy to do, by the way. Uh, how big is IBM these days? Uh, it's about 250, 280,000 employees now. Oh, you know, just a quarter million people. No big deal. <laughs> but it, seriously, it does seem like you perhaps the biggest design problem that you're solving for is how on earth do you get this many people to work together? And, you know, related, I read about how, I think, pre-COVID, you had something like a campus there in Austin, Texas, where you would onboard these new hires. And the way that I interpreted it was, it was almost like a new semester or something, where you would just focus on how to work together. And I think that's a really profound idea. But could you talk to me about that onboarding process? Uh, yeah, so we used to, when um, in, in our original face-to-face program, we would fly in, you know, the higher candidates into Austin. Um, they used to stay for, the original program was three months long, and then we revamped the program with some new leadership. It turned into six weeks, and that's still, still the same outcomes of, like, onboarding to, like, IBM, onboarding to, like, working collaboratively. And number three, working on real projects so they can get an understanding of like what it's like to work and what's the type of work they may be working on in their actual teams once they deploy then as well, too. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly think of worse places to spend a few weeks than Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you're not getting a lot of complaints from new hires to go there. Um, So, okay, when they show up to campus, what are you sort of primarily teaching them? It was definitely hammering down on that you're going to be working together and that it's the success of the project is either everyone wins or everyone loses. It's not about pointing fingers to someone that may have like dropped the ball or things like that. Because you all are all, all in on this, 
you are going to have those conversations as a team when someone may not be delivering or someone may not maybe like not sharing as much as they should be as well too because you're going to find that you all as a team need to share need to collaborate need to give honest feedback to each other because all it's all on all of you <laughs> to deliver work then and when you're you know presenting work to myself or some of the other senior leaders um, when we're doing playbacks then we're not pointing at one individual person we're pointing at the team so like so you know like we're trying to set them up in that mindset of like it's not about a blame game up here and we're not pointing fingers at one individual we're we're directing all feedback to the entire team Right. And I mean, this is an entirely different way of thinking also within other corporations, you know, where you have team critique and team accolades. And, you know, you could imagine if there are things like incentivization structures tied to this new way of thinking, you know, I could only imagine, you know, that's a lot to wrap your head around. And I'm also curious, so in this onboarding around collaboration, obviously the client is paramount. Can you talk to me about that? It, it is. It's definitely, we, we have to have much more than client-customer relationships. We, we need to have partnerships. We need to have, you know, Phil Gilbert calls it radical collaboration. And that means it's not about me as the, the designer versus you as the developer or you as the marketers. Like, we all bring in a bit of subject matter expertise in this area of the business. Let's all come together put our heads together and like come up with some solutions that we probably wouldn't have come up with if we were just in our individual, like, you know, specialties then as well. And then, you know, partner with the client and bring them into that as well too, because at the end of the day, and, and when I say client, I mean, like I used to be on the, the IBM security team and one of our clients was a security analyst and we brought them into our work. You know, we showed them prototypes and it's like, hey, would this work for you? Would this make your experience better? And they told us, nah, I'm actually looking for this. And it's like, great. That is great feedback that we normally would not have gotten if we just went straight to the person who's going to cut the check for the work that we're doing. Then. You know, through the years, I've collected kind of as a joke design process slides and they always kind of crack me up because, you know, they're smart and they're thoughtful and all this. But the thing that they're often missing, almost always, in fact, is uh, the client, almost always. It's step one, we get onboarded, we do research, we prototype, and then we come back to you. And, uh, you know, it, it's just funny because from the premise, it's almost creating an adversarial relationship unintentionally, but but it's there nonetheless. And I couldn't agree more with instead of, of having that type of relationship, one where you're co-creating. But as a result, it means that everybody kind of has to put on a designer hat in a sense. And I guess, how do you bring design thinking, uh, you know, to people who aren't designers? You know, there's obviously a gap there. How do you think about that? You know, the unfortunate thing is that design thinking is called design thinking. And so that word design in that framework, you know, name usually makes people that are non-designers is like, I'm not a part of this. This is like, you're the designer. That's your job. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, 
this is like to my earlier comment around like this is how we are going to work on this together using this framework you know like the the framework is intended to you know make it you know your specialty agnostic it's not about you being like that developer not about me being the designers not about you being the marketing specialist it's about what do we know from our expertise in this area of the product that we're working on. And it's really about like, how can we better collaborate with each other? Um, so it's not about, I'm expecting you to be a designer at the end of, at the end of this pro- project. No, it's like, it's about how can we work together bringing in you know, the user of our product or service in the middle of our work hear the feedback, work collaboratively, partner with each other, you know, and, you know, work together so that we can deliver the best project that we all can like say, like, we did a great job. This topic of collaboration and scale, it's at the heart of so much of what I've been working on personally over the past decade. And candidly, it's been the hardest thing I've had to do professionally. Because what I've learned over these past few years is that the thing that can make you great at one level is often a liability at the next. So for example, as a young designer, one of the ways that you can move up the ranks is by being really proficient, being able to generate a ton of ideas, and then seeing certain projects over the finish line and ensuring that every single detail is as perfect as it can possibly be. You know, oftentimes design is synonymous with control. That is why there are brand standards. That's why there are guidelines to every campaign. I mean, the details matter. So ensuring that every pixel, every line, every everything is exactly where and how it should be, well, that's job one. But as you get more senior and your team grows from just being you to 10, 20, 30, 40, and so on, then you have to let go of some of that control. And you have to shift from that place of control to instead a place of influence and enablement. And when you run a department, this shift from me to we is basically all that matters. That your team is doing well, that their work is awesome, and that they're growing individually. It's ultimately the shift in taking pleasure in your own ideas and your own work to celebrating everyone around you. And look, of course, there's a time and a place to be loud and upfront and assertive, and I'm certainly comfortable doing that. But more oftentimes than not, what I'm finding is that the best place to lead is actually from the back. So, Owen, you know, we've been talking a lot about the team and how they work together, and and that's been great. I'm also curious, though, as you think about just yourself, Um, You know, have there been any guiding ideas or principles that you attribute some of your success to? Yeah, definitely. You know, like I'm I'm a firm believer in three things to be what I credit my success to. And everyone will have their own like, but I'm a believer in being humble, (laughs) having grit and loving what you do. Um, I, I love doing design work. And, and I think one of the, the biggest things for me is that I've been able to get a broader perspective of what design is and what design can do. You know, most people, I when I introduce myself, they, when I say I'm a, I'm a designer, it's like, oh, 
you know, like what famous brand have you worked on or, or, you know, the, the stereotypical like expectations that most people will have with designers. And it's like, oh, you know, like I work on helping the IBMer do their best to be their best. And they're like, huh? It's like. <laughs> I'd like to thank Owen for his insights and giving us a peek behind the curtain at IBM. If you'd like to find out more about IBM and their design process, go to ibm.com slash design. Also, if you'd like to reach out to Owen directly, you can do so on Instagram. His handle is owen.hammonds, O-E-N dot H-A-M-M-O-N-D-S. Fail Hard is sponsored by Adobe. Everything associated with this show is enabled by the Creative Cloud, and we couldn't be more grateful for their support. Thank you, Adobe. Thirsty for more by design content? Check out our website, americabydesigntv.com. There, you can find previous episodes and liner notes from the podcast, as well as episodes from our television show, America by Design. Lastly, we're releasing new episodes of Fail Hard every Tuesday, so be sure to hit subscribe to stay up to speed. And if you have any thoughts or suggestions for future shows, feel free to shoot me an email. Hello at willhall.co. We'll see you next week. That's the extent of my computer hood. <laughs>